The presenting sponsor of EcoCheck with the IDM is RPG Research. RPG Research is a volunteer-run, nonprofit 501c3 research and human services charitable organization providing a public research repository and studies the effects of all role-playing game formats, accessibility, and inclusiveness considerations for role-playing gamers, and the potential for RPGs to help various populations achieve their educational, recreational, or therapeutic goals. The founder of RPG Research is Hawk Robinson, and he has been wonderfully supportive of my creative efforts over the years, and previously appeared as a guest on EgoCheck back in January 2017 on Episode 7. So go back in time and check out our conversation about all the great work he's doing. Donations to RPG Research directly support research and community programs to help people improve lives. And more information for these programs can be found at rpgresearch.com donate. another episode of Ego Check with the ITDM. I'm your host, Michael Mallon. Thank you for joining us this week. And on the line now is Mark Alley. He is a educator, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And we have been friends. We were just talking right before we started recording that we've been in contact with each other through Twitter for years. Oh, yeah. I mean, Middle of fourth edition D and D, so what, like six, seven years or yeah, so? Yeah, yes. so yeah. We, we have been in contact quite a bit, and he was previously running a blog, the Learning DM. So you may right. remember that name uh, if you followed all the various the blank DMs on on Twitter. <laughs> Some of us are still around. Yeah. So he was writing a ton about gaming content uh, at the Learning DM. He also has his site, markalley.com. He's written some books and really posts a lot about Transformers, which I'm excited to get into. Yes. And has a lot of geeky interest and likes to say that he was a geek before it was cool. So That's right. That's Mark, right. Welcome to the show. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me on. And I'm glad to have a chance to chat with you tonight. Yeah. And so that is one of the names of your book because you've written a few books here. Yes. Yeah. And was that the first book you wrote or was that the second? The first book was uh, I Was Geeky When Geeky Wasn't Cool. Okay. Uh, so that was, what, like four years ago, three years ago, somewhere in there? Yeah. Uh, and so this is all just, you know, self-published. But uh, have you ever heard of uh, NaNoWriMo? Yes. You, you familiar with that, right? But if, so, for the listeners who might not be familiar with that, if, can you explain that to them? Sure. So NaNoWriMo is National Novel Writing Month. It's a kind of a weird acronym. Not really an acronym, I guess. Uh, but anyway, uh, you it's kind of like an online challenge. I tend to do really well when I like set a, an end goal or I have like a, a challenge and I've got people that are on there with me checking in on me, that kind of stuff uh, with with all sorts of uh, different areas of my life. So anyway, the, I'd always kind of thought about I should write something. I enjoyed creative writing when I was in school. I liked, you know, I'm a, I'm a teacher and teaching writing and, and you know, uh, literature. That was always something that I really enjoyed with my kids. And uh, I just, one year, I decided, you know what, I'm going to do it this year. I'm just going to do it. And so uh, I decided that a novel might be too much to write at first. So I just decided, well, I could do some nonfiction. I'll just write about some funny stories um, from me uh, as a kid when I was, like, a total nerd and 
back then, of course, you know, growing up in like the eighties, uh, being a nerd was not a good thing. Now it's, it's pretty cool. You know, there's the big bang theories on TV and, you know, there's all sorts of geeky interests are very popular now, but back then it was not, but that did not, um, that did not hinder my enjoyment and my mania for these things at all. Uh, so I, I thought I'd kind of write about some of that. And, uh, I did, uh, I went through, through the month and I wrote like, I think 18 or 20,000 words worth. And then I wrapped it up in about, nice, nice. about a year later and published it and just kind of went from there. That was the first book. Um, the second book is called don't stop the geeking and it's a sequel sort of, I guess, kind of filling in some of the blanks from other tales from my childhood. And, uh, then, Last year, well, two years ago now, I guess, uh, late, I published my first actual novel. It's a intended for young adults, I guess, but uh, I think others would enjoy it as well. It's called The Thing from the Drive-In, and it's uh, – Which I love the cover art for that. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know if you know Christopher Tupa. He's kind of a – he's an artist. Uh, he's got some – He's done some stuff for the Retroist, and he's got his own blog and does quite a bit of stuff. And he's I used to po- uh, podcast with him actually. He was the on the Tupa cast. Um, but uh, anyway, he's he was the artist for that, and yeah, he did a he, he did a lights out job on the cover. It's fantastic. Of course, it's it's about a uh, a, uh, a giant monster comes out of a drive-in theater screen, uh, and it's all the result of this kid's fault. This twelve-year-old nerd guy uh, who lives in the eighties, I, I you know loosely based on me but this guy's way more competent than i would have been we we write what we know (laughs) exactly exactly and so this you know this was kind of a fun little exercise i was kind of with that one i was like you know i uh i saw how ready player you know i enjoyed ready player one the book Mm -hmm. and i was like we could do something with you know i could do something where it's just like got all of my the stuff that i enjoyed when i was a kid and throw it all in there and uh came up with uh kind of a uh, a way to make that all work through the plot and everything. And it ended up being really a, a, a real challenge, uh, writing writing a novel and having it actually make sense and follow, you know, the way a story should progress is far diffi- more difficult than random reminiscences about, uh, you know, your childhood. But uh, anyway, it was a good learning experience. I think it turned out really good. Uh, and uh, it's been out for about a year or so now. So Excellent. And, yeah, the cover is... It's kind of this greenish hue where there's a like a, a, a scene at a drive-in with a snack bar and there's these silhouettes running away mm-hmm. and there's this T-Rex that's <laughs> kind of charging from behind the snack bar and everyone is fleeing for their lives. It's it's well done. It's fun. How yeah. how many words are in the novel? Because you you said you uh, had like eighteen thousand or so for the other book. Yeah, the novel has sixty thousand words. Oh, so okay. it's, it's pretty big. Um, but uh, it just kind of the story just kind of went that far, you know. So I wasn't really aiming for a particular word count or anything, but uh, that's just what it ended up being when I was done. So, you know, of course, you know, it's twice as big as the other books. They ended up being about 30,000 words each. So no wonder it took me uh, a little bit longer to get it done. <laughs> and the learning DM site. So that when did you start that? What what year did that get going? Well, I think it was 2011 or so. Uh, this is back when. I had, you know, I played D&D when I was younger, uh, enjoyed it a lot, and uh, I played it up through college. I was still buying the books and stuff, but I wasn't really playing as much because most of my group had gone off to the Air Force or, you know, to college and other other places. 
And I kind of moved into Magic the Gathering, which kind of took up that sort of nerdy gaming itch for me during the mid-90s. So I kind of stopped playing at that point. But then, you know, got married and uh, had kids. And then I'm in a gaming store, and I see the red box, the D&D red box for the Essentials line uh, in 4th edition. So I guess that's like 2010 or 2011 right in there would be my guess. And so I, I bought it. And uh, started playing D&D with my kids, and then we had some guys locally who were interested in doing that. So it was pretty interesting. We had some adults and then my kids, <laughs> which is kind of an interesting mix. And we were playing every week there for about six months. And so I was just so into it, really, really enjoyed it, and uh, got into the blogging. Again, I guess this was kind of a, a way to channel that creative writing urge I've always had. Um, you probably can identify with that. Absolutely. Yeah. And what was some of the first stuff that you wrote about on that site? What was kind of the motivating factor for you to well dive into that time period? Because you know, I've talked about that a few times with, with some of my guests of that era, fourth edition, like the 2010, 2011. There's just so many people who jumped into the community, were putting out their thoughts on, on blogs, and mm-hmm. there was a lot of momentum on Twitter. There was like such a great community going on. Right. What motivated you to, to get involved? Well, I just uh, I really felt just a strong passion for the learning the system again, I guess. I, I don't know. I just I had such a uh, strong nostalgia for D&D from when I was younger, uh, you know, starting with the cartoon and then uh, moving on to actually playing. Uh, I, had a, I had a friend in fifth grade. I'll never forget. I write about this in my first book. Uh he, he ran us through Castle Ravenloft on the teeter-totters at recess one day. <laughs> no dice, no nothing, just, you know, just from memory, he just went through the, the module, and it, it absolutely hooked me. And uh, when I, I just, it felt so nice to actually be, I, I guess I felt like I was more of a reader of the content. Like, I knew more about the game system. I read a bunch of the, you know, in first and second edition, there was tons of accessories and a lot of setting material came out, and I, I really devoured that. But I had never really had a uh, a campaign where we were playing regularly every week that it, that lasted for more than just like a month or so at a time. And so when I had this this group with my kids and with some adults too, and it was kind of like shifting back into um, those things that I'd kind of learned from when I was younger, but you know, really putting these things into practice. Uh, on the new campaign, uh, I just felt like sharing some of the things that I had learned from it, you know, uh, that's kind of why I named it the learning DM, because I felt like I was just kind of learning to do it all again, even though I had done it when I was, you know, 20 some odd years before or however long it had been. And uh, it turned out, you know, I got a good response from people. And uh, again, like you said, the community was really great at that time. There was a lot of um, camaraderie on Twitter and, uh, you know, just the blogging and the blogging each other's stuff. And it it just seemed like the online component was also part of my enjoyment of the system, if that kind of makes sense at all. Yeah. And so, um, I don't know, I just kind of uh, snowballed from there. Um, Unfortunately, uh, fourth edition was kind of on the downside when I started. And so there was that weird time period before D&D Next came out. I'm sure you remember uh, where it was just kind of pretty slow as far as the, the D&D content. And uh, 
so it kind of tapered off from then, and that's when I kind of started got into the books. So my my time just kind of shifted as well. Uh, so that's that's kind of where I'm at today with that. And now, how often are you gaming now? Are you playing fifth edition or what? Yeah, we play we play fifth edition. I I've got a group that we meet very infrequently. It's been like once every three or four months uh, for the past I don't know three or four years probably. But then I play about every other month online, uh, every month or so. Uh, with a, a friend, a, a friend of mine from way out of state, and we play very off, often with him. He's got his son, and I've got my son, and we get together and play uh, once in a while. But uh, it's all fifth edition, which I love. I think it's like if it had been what was uh, going on while I got started again, I think I would have been playing that first campaign a lot longer than I did. I don't know. Uh, I just really, really like the the flexibility of the system. And. It, there's you know fourth edition cro- crops up online and for the most part like I really enjoyed it it's what oh, yeah. got me back have, into the game I have very mm-hmm. fond memories of that edition and I, like, and I like fifth too what about fifth do you think uh, just fits for you like what do you like about the game I I like being able to do theater to the mind if I need to okay. and. I felt like in fourth edition, every time we had a fight, you had to get the battle mat out, right? I mean, there was so like the way the p- player powers and stuff worked and and everything. You just had to do uh, some sort of a, a representation of the battlefield, whether that was you know through roll twenty online or some similar service, or just you know having having down a piece of gr- um, you know grid paper and just doodling on it, or you know a full on. Uh, what do they? What do you call it? The uh, Dwarven Forge setup. I've got you know a small set of that stuff that I use, but uh, that's kind of daunting as far as like being able to plan what your players are going to do. I remember when I was running, um, I think it was uh, Madness at Gardmore Abbey. Uh, I don't know if you recall that adventure from fourth edition i never played through it but i remember that i think it was a box set yeah it was about it was a big box set it had a bunch of stuff with it it was great i loved it i think it's the best thing that ever came out of um, fourth edition uh, honestly but uh i remember i prepped for one evening and i was like well they'll probably do this so i'm gonna have like you know these four battle maps ready and then i'm gonna have all these miniatures pulled out and then you know, I was all ready to go, and then we got there, and the the guys are like, "Yeah, well, let's go to this backtrack a little bit and go through this instead." And so, I've got to totally shift gears and find some new stuff, <laughs> and uh, just kind of make do with what I had, you know. And uh, that was kind of frustrating because I didn't have the you know the right. I felt like I needed to have the right mini for every occasion, which is almost impossible to do, right? Uh, with you know the tremendous variety of monsters and stuff that are out there. But uh, that kind of thing wouldn't wouldn't be a big problem in fifth edition. I just felt kind of like I was kind of pigeonholing my players into like a certain track that I wanted them to go down. And fifth edition made it um, far more flexible. Like it wouldn't really bother me if I could just describe the scene differently, and we could, you know, have minis or not have minis. If we wanted to, we could get them out, and if not, we didn't have to have them. Uh, also, the 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 power complexity and the duration of the fights was pretty much a when you're playing once a week on a school night, uh, you know you're you're good to have one in fourth edition if you got one fight in, that's about all you could really count on because it might take an hour to an hour and a half just for the combat. You recall, right? I mean, I, oh, is yeah. that your experience too? No, absolutely. And I, I played in a couple of groups and one I and back in that that time period, so twenty. 
like 11, 2012. I was, I was playing once a week in two different campaigns. So yeah, yeah. One, I think it was the Friday I would DM, and then the next Saturday I'd be a player and just alternate mm. each week. Yeah, uh, it was this guy that lived maybe ten minutes from my house. Yeah, and half of his garage was converted into a gaming room, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. And like he and his friends had all pooled resources. They had every set of Dwarven Forge you could imagine. Wow. <laughs> so the cavern set, the village set, the caves, they had everything you could possibly imagine. Plus all the minis from years and years of playing D&D. Mm-hmm. Terrain from train sets and fish tank aquariums. Like It was just... All of everything, yeah. It was <laughs> bananas. <laughs> yeah. So it was great because it was very easy to have a cinematic fight. Yes. And so you would plan for these things. And I got better as time went on of kind of creating, okay, this is what the terrain will be like. But depending on what the players do, it could be with this set of bad guys or this set of bad guys. Right. Um, So I kind of got a little crafty and flexible doing that. Mm -hmm. But I I agree with you. It it did pigeonhole you a little bit because if you spend all this time, you know, setting up the tactics of a battle and coming up with this terrain – you feel very obligated to use it, so exactly. you're more, yeah. in, more inclined to nudge, push, throw the players in yeah, that direction. Right. What one of the things that we ended up doing, just like just the very the nature of the narrative, would be like we would have a fight at the beginning that had been set up by the consequences from the choices they had made last session. Okay, and then we might you know we'd play through the battle, and then we'd probably go another forty five minutes to an hour of just like exploration and role playing and that kind of thing. And then when it came up for the next big time fight again, we'd have to stop for the night because then I'd have to, you know, go plan for the next week of, to get everything ready for it. You know, sometimes it would be like drawing the appropriate map out or, you know, who knows, which, you know, that's fine. But it kind of felt like we were ending before the cliffhanger every single week. And that got kind of tedious. Yeah. Um, there were uh, things you could do. Like we had <laughs> I, when I was a DM, I would have this little uh like egg timer thing yeah, from a yeah. board game. And I, like everybody had, okay, this is how much time you have for your turn and you're up next, get ready. Mm-hmm. So you could keep it moving. It, I think with fifth edition, it, it just moves faster because there's less decisions to make. Yeah, and exactly. I mean, we haven't got very high levels yet in the campaigns I'm in. Um, and like I said, I like both games. I, I am, I'm far from ripping on fourth edition. I, Oh yeah. You know, a soft I, spot in my heart for that game. Right. Right. I'd I really think love back the, and play one at one point in time. That would be fun. It would be fun. I I, I love the how easy it was to balance encounters for the dungeon master in fourth edition. I think that's a yes. strength of the system. And uh, you know, just the I think it really appeals to like the min maxer type of gamer. And I think that's fine. I, I I you know some people say that's like a bad word or whatever. I think it's fine. I'm that way when I play RPGs online or you know whatever. And uh, uh, I just there's a lot of really cool. There's, you know, if you like gaming a system to get a super powerful set of options for your character, Fourth Edition was really good for that. Um, well, and me and the character was was really cool because I had like for magic cards. I guess they sell those fancy card backs where you uh-huh. had, like the sleeves for your cards. So I would cut yes. out my powers and I put them in those <laughs> card backs, but I color coded them by dailies and encounters, yes. right, right, will powers. Right. 
Uh-huh. I'd kind of be shuffling through them as it was about to be my turn. I'm like, all right, what am I going to do? And like, that was fun. That yeah, was it is. It's like there's a whole lot more to do. It seems like when it's not your turn because you're kind of planning ahead. Um, now, on the other hand, my my son, who was at the time, I think he was 10 or 11 years old when we were playing. He would just get lost in all the options, particularly as we got leveled up. And so he'd just keep on doing like the, you know, the same, uh, at will powers over and over again. And it, it kind of made it hard to, uh, balance, you know, because yeah. he wasn't doing everything maxed out. But, you know, it, it whatever, it was fine. Uh, but it's, it was, a, it was a good time. Uh, and, you know, it's always more about sitting down at the table with your, with your fellow players in the DM and just telling the story together. That's been the same throughout any edition of D and D. And, uh, you know, and whatever version you end up playing is a good one. Uh, it's going to have to be by definition, if you ask me. <laughs> and how young were your children when they started playing D&D with you? Well, this was a, he would have been 10 uh, at that time. And then my older son would have been, uh, I guess, 16 or 17. So, you know, right right in that good age uh, where they can, you know, start. That's that's when I really got into it when I was younger. So it was kind of that was kind of special too. you know, being able to nice. share that with them. And do they play with you now? Uh, the the youngest one does because he's still at home. My oldest, he's married and off. You know, he has a real job and stuff, so we don't get to play. Uh, but uh, when we get together, we the last thing we want to do is play D&T. We just need to visit and catch up. So, sure. yeah. It's, you don't want to be like, hey, welcome home. Throw some monsters at him. <laughs> yeah, roll for initiative as soon as he walks in the door. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, what were some of the other things in the '80s and '90s during your you know, formative years that, that you were kind of throwing yourself into in addition to D&D? Uh, well, now you mean like as an adult? <laughs> well, even back then and, yeah, up until yeah. Uh, right now. Well, the biggest thing is Transformers. That's kind of the my favorite and has been ever since I first saw them uh, way back when uh, on the toy shelves back in the 80s. They are uh, – there's just something really appealing about – uh, the toys themselves, I think that's that's the best part about Transformers to me is they you get a a cool vehicle or car or a tape deck or a spaceship or a plane or a tank or whatever the alt mode is. And then it you get a robot, too, which is fun to play with because robots are cool. And then you've also got the puzzle aspect of being able to figure out the transformation. Uh, and that really, I really enjoyed that part. It was kind of like a Rubik's cube action figure, um, you know, in some sense, uh, the puzzle part. So I've always really enjoyed Transformers uh, since I was a kid, and that has been a recurring theme throughout my life as well. <laughs> and one of one of the things we've bonded over over the years is Transformers, and yeah. much. Oh yeah. Transformers content you put out there, which I thoroughly enjoy. So, again, for those listening who might not be familiar with uh, some of the endeavors you've you've taken on related to Transformers, yeah. over the years, what have you done in terms of posting things and article series and things like that? Sure. Well, uh, the biggest thing that I do is is the uh, haikus. And I know that sounds like a you know, a weird thing. Uh, let me just kind of give you the, the genesis behind the whole haiku, the geek haikus. I call them geek haikus. And uh, so it, one summer, several years ago, uh, you know, I'm a teacher, so summer is like the rest recharge time. And the danger I always run into is I feel like if I don't, I don't know, I, I'm just, I feel like I need to be doing something 
creative every day. I, I want to have a some like at the end of the day, I want to be like, I accomplished this today. I made this today. You know, maybe it's painting miniatures or, you know, it's getting a D and D campaign together or whatever it might be. But it writing, like you have that drive to, to yeah, exactly. You know, just something. just to, I just don't want to sit there and just vegetate and just consume things all day. So I had also made a deal with myself that I was going to watch every episode of the original Star Trek uh, over the summer because I had never done that. And uh, I'm ashamed to admit, I know, uh, but, you know, I can't trade in my geek card over that because I've got multiple copies of geek cards from other things. So. I have never seen the original Star Trek. Never, not in one episode? I've probably seen one episode yeah. and pieces yeah. of them here and there, but I've never sure. made a point to watch the series. I watched right. the Next Generation because that was more in my, my yeah. childhood. Yeah, too. I got you. Well, you know, I'd always – I'd seen it on reruns when I was growing up. And, uh, of course, the, I loved the movies when they came out back in the 80s. And uh, so I, I just decided, yeah, that's something I need to do. So – but I made a deal with myself. I was like, you can't just watch one of these for an hour a day. You're going to do something fun and creative with it. And so I decided what I would do is I would take a screenshot of every episode and then I would write a haiku uh, that would go along with the uh, the screenshot or the episode. So for those who don't recall their fifth grade uh, poetry <laughs> back in school, a haiku is a type of poem uh, where the first line has five syllables and the second line has seven and the third line has five. And it's not rhymed. It's usually about nature or something like that uh, when we teach it in school. But, of course, I was doing it over geeky things. So I decided I would watch every Star Trek episode, and I did. I'd take a picture, and then I'd write a haiku about it. And so I think it's like 70-some-odd episodes uh, of Star Trek and I, haikus. Yeah, and I all had a, I had a haiku for every one of them, and I really enjoyed it because it made me kind of pay a little more attention while I was watching the show because I was looking for like, ooh, that'd be a good screenshot, or that's an interesting scene, or I should mention that something funny that happened in the episode or something like that, and uh, so I really got to appreciate some of the, you know, like the. The, the design, the set design, and some of the things that I might not otherwise pay much attention to uh, when you watch things like that. So uh, that was that was kind of the genesis behind it. And then I I enjoyed that so much, I decided, well, I'm going to keep keep going. And I watched the uh, Star Trek animated series. You ever watched any of those? No. Okay, so this was from the uh, early 70s to the mid-70s, I guess, and put out by the same people. I, I, I can't remember what are some of their other things are. It's pretty primitive uh, animation style compared to the stuff that's out today. But uh, they had the original voice actors, and uh, okay. just it, it was really fun. And there was only like 20-something episodes. So I just decided, well, we may as well continue it a little bit. And... Uh, that that took me through that spring uh, summer and that fall, and then the next summer I was like, well, I've done Star Trek. I need to hit the other big, uh, you know, favorite media franchise from when I was when I was younger, and so I did Transformers. So I did all hundred some odd episodes of the original Transformers Generation One series, which I believe is something you've enjoyed when you were younger too, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. We're 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 going to get into that. So. Okay. Good. Good. So I, I uh, watched through, and I again, I had never watched every single episode of the original Generation One series. I'd re I watched season one 
over and over again, uh, but because uh, that's my favorite. Um, but like particularly after the movie, the original animated movie came out, I was kind of I was like 13, I think then. So I was more into D&D at that time and was in junior high and, you know, toys weren't high on my list of anything I wanted to do. I was trying hard to be not a nerd, you know, so uh, kind of a shame at the time, I guess, looking back on it now. But uh, I did the Transformers. And uh, after that, what else have I done? Uh, let's see. I did some uh, Sentai, which is like the Japanese version of Power Rangers that came out before Power Rangers. I've done okay. Godzilla, the animated series from the 90s, because it was 20 years ago last year that that happened. And uh, right now I'm in the I, I, I went to the uh, the Japanese Transformers cartoons that came out after uh, Generation 1 was over here in America. They still kept on making cartoons over in Japan. And so I did the Headmasters and Master Force, and I'm currently about halfway through Transformers Victory. Uh, which was the last major Transformers animated series in Generation 1. And so to give folks an example, and I posted this uh, earlier in the week, uh, getting ready to interview you, so it's like going back through some of the haikus. So the first episode of Transformers, the Generation 1, it's it's like a screenshot from the series, from the episode. So it's this kind of top-down shot of Cybertron. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a couple or i think it's bumblebee yeah that's bumblebee's alt mode and is it jazz it's wheeljack actually wheeljack. Yeah. okay yeah um and then it has the haiku where it says more than meets the eye autobots decepticons where it all began yeah so it yeah. it it gives you like i don't know it's almost like a summary of what I'm looking well, it's for. Kind like, of, you know? like you put time and effort into this. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I just thoroughly appreciate being someone who over the years has like thrown myself into different blog article ideas yeah. that yeah. maybe me and three other people will enjoy. It's just like, <laughs> I, yeah, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoy that effort and that creativity. Well, I, Thank you. I, I'm not sure how, you know, acclaimed they are or whatever, but I'm not really doing them for that. I'm just doing them because, uh, you know, I just kind of enjoy the just the you know, it's, it's just enough that it's like I can spend five or ten minutes and whip this out. And sure. I feel like I've done something creative that day. So. And so one of the you know, I love Transformers growing up. Remember the, the cartoon. Uh, remember going to the theater to, to see the movie. Yeah. And it. I wonder, like, of all the franchises, because I think there was a ton of cartoons that were more or less an excuse to sell toys. Oh, yeah. In yeah. that era. So you had He-Man, G.I. Joe, Thundercats. Uh, what were some of the other big ones where it was just more or less? Oh, like Centurions. And did you say He-Man, G.I. Yeah, Joe, uh, you know, so you... just Silverhawks. There's just Thundercats. There's just it was tons of stuff. Cause yeah. They changed, yeah, they changed the regulations for what you could use, like even doing commercials on kids programming back in the early 80s. And that's why you had this explosion of toy-based cartoons. So there's, like a lot of those things have come and gone. Right. And they have niche audiences and people, you know, are are definitely uh, still fans of those things. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I wanted to pick your brain about, because, you know, you're big fan of the franchise like i am yeah like why do you think transformers persist like they're still making movies bumblebee right. just came out and i yeah. did fairly well mm-hmm. and it was actually quite a good movie which we can get into as well yeah um but why do you think 
Transformers still is hanging around 30 plus years later. I think more than most franchises, Transformers has been really good at reinventing itself every so often. I thought you were going to say more than meets the eye, which would have been <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that would have, It is more than meets the eye. Or, or, I was like on the edge of my seat. I'm like, is he really going to say this? I'm so excited. <laughs> no. I should have probably. but My yeah. apologies. I interrupted. Go ahead. No, that's okay. Um, like Generation 1 ran for like three or four years here in the United States. It went a little longer in... Uh, as far as the cartoon went uh, in Japan and in other uh, territories. But for the most part, the cartoon was off the air, and it was just toys on the shelves by the late 80s and early 90s. And then it sort of re redid itself. They came out with Generation 2, where they did a few new molds, a few new toys, and then reissued and recolored some of the original toys in the early 90s. And then Beast Wars came out, I think it's 95. I'm not exactly sure. Are you familiar with Beast Wars? I'm familiar with it, but I never got into that. I had, yeah, I had, moved, so, on, I had moved on to other stuff by then. Yes, me too. You know, that's when I was like wrapping up college and starting my teaching career. So I was not watching that. I had a buddy, a roommate of mine that watched the show, but I just couldn't get over the fact that, you know, it was Megatron that turned into a T-Rex and – you know that's I don't I just don't care for it. I my boys watched it. Uh, they liked it when they were gr- growing up. Uh, I didn't really sit down and watch it with them because I'm I'm I don't know I'm just a purist about it or whatever. But uh, it 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 kept Transformers in the public eye, I guess. You know, for in the late '90s, and then they sort of reshifted things again in 2001 or so, and that's when I got back into it. There was a series that came out called, uh, it was just called Transformers Robots in Disguise, and for the first time, it was uh, vehicle-based Transformers again. Uh, there had not been that for uh, many years, especially in a cartoon form. So uh, Robots in Disguise, there was an Optimus Prime. He was a fire truck, but he transformed, and he actually kind of looked like the old Optimus Prime. Uh, there was a Prowl that was a police car that looked kind of like the one from back in the day. And so that really got me back into it at that point. And then uh, it sold really well, like the toys did well, the, the show did well uh, on as far as the ratings went. And so they started more cartoons and kind of churning out more uh, toys. And there was the... Transformers Armada, Transformers Energon, Transformers Cybertron. It's called, we call them the Unicron trilogy now, uh, but it was key, you know it was on you know on Saturday mornings and Cartoon Network and you know new shows, new Transformers on the shelves all the time. And then the movies came out uh, in tw- 2007. The original Michael Bay movie comes out, and so that's was, okay. Yeah. Right. It was it was fair. Yeah, it was it was fine. I mean, I enjoyed it. I bought it. Uh, I I liked it. Went to see it several times, you know, and, and then the sequels and, got progressively. Yeah. Less OK. Yeah, we can we can discuss that if you want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I love and hate the Transformers movies. I love them because they kept Transformers going. Right. I mean, G.I. Joe fans right now are so sad because today was Toy Fair. And there are no new G.I. Joe toys this year. There's which no, seem, which seems know. like a franchise that should 
Exactly. Like I know they they yeah. tried to do some films and mm-hmm. the films were not that great either. Yeah, it should be evergreen, right? I mean, yeah. it's it's got cool vehicles and neat little army guys, and it's it's great, but it's just not. It's just done. I don't know. Um, but and it has a lot of the same. I don't know pedigree that Transformers does. But uh, well, I think early on you you kind of said something that sort of answered this question in a way of like, what is it about this franchise that's alluring? And you talked about. Just the toys themselves, how mm-hmm. you get this three-part experience of yeah. you have the robot, whatever it transforms into, and then this puzzle aspect of you kind of have to use some dexterity to go yeah. from one to the other. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you have options. You have kind of th- two to three toys in one. Right. Um, there's definitely a nostalgia component for folks in, in our age range. Sure. Um, but again, it just seems like there's nostalgia for a lot of things right. and that aren't as prominent as Transformers is. Yeah. So I, I think your kind of commentary touched on something that's really unique to this particular franchise. Yeah, it just kind of keeps coming, you know, in, in different ways. And so, you know, it, it's good for it's good for me as an adult collector because it keeps it on the shelves, you know, and uh uh, I don't have to import stuff from Japan, super expensive, or you know, look for vintage stuff that's uh, exorbitantly priced just to get a fix for a character I'm interested in, for example. Um, so it's kind of nice. I think one of my favorite Transformers that I have that they're in a box somewhere now, but it must have been, I think, right around episode two or three of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. They had Anakin and Obi Wan Transformers, yeah, transformed in, into the Jedi Starfighters, fi- mm-hmm. uh, which were just awesome. Yeah, like, they're, they're pretty cool. We had the uh, Millennium Falcon that transformed into uh, Chewie and uh, Han Solo. And you posted a few days ago. I guess they're having the Ecto One from Ghostbusters. Yeah, that was just announced. I think. Uh, maybe yesterday or today. Um, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's uh, the Ecto-1 Transformer. It looks fantastic, and I am totally buying one. <laughs> and so the movies, the, I, I was talking with my, my friend Chris on the other podcast I run, uh, Childhood Ruined, if you haven't listened to it. It's mm-hmm. it's on iTunes. It's cool. We chat about a bunch of stuff like this. But we went to see Bumblebee with his son, who's about, I think, 10 or 11, uh, and he enjoyed it. And we were just surprised about how just fun and enjoyable the movie was. Yes. So what what was your take on that being like a hardcore Transformers fan? Well, the thing I love I love Bumblebee, and I I'll be honest with you, since Revenge of the Fallen, I've hated them all. Uh, I thought Revenge of the Fallen was terrible. It was vulgar. It was lowest common denominator humor. Just it was poor, so poorly done. And then I got so angry about that, that I didn't go see the next one except on DVD, because my kids were like, oh, come on, Dad, let's watch it. What was the next one? Because I don't think I saw uh, Dark of the Moon. Yeah, I, don't I, know. I don't know if one. I saw that one. Yeah. And uh, then there was, uh, let's see, Age of Extinction. That that's I definitely that, didn't see. Yeah, that's the one that had the Dinobots in it. And then they just had, uh, what was it called? Something, the, the Last Night, I guess, which in, introduced, like, Transformers throughout history or something. I didn't see that one either. I haven't seen any of them uh, since the Dark of the Moon. And, uh, you know, I just, I thought Bumblebee, the you, you saw the first two minutes, right? I mean, 
Yeah, it just was like amazing. They were fantastic. I mean, it was like the characters that I loved when I was a kid that didn't look like they were wrapped up in a bundle of knives and glass and whatever, you know. And they looked like Transformers. Yeah, they looked. They were recognizable, and you could tell like during the fighting, it was like you could tell what was going on instead of it just being just this random chaotic mess of choreography and. It was just fantastic. My mind was blown. And then, you know, we didn't get that for the remainder of the movie, which was fine. And the rest of the movie was so infused with that nostalgia and just a good story. The human characters that you actually cared about instead of being this annoying and whatever that, you know, you had in the previous ones. And it felt like Bumblebee was I mean, Bumblebee was a great character and he didn't even have a voice. I mean, he just. The things that they did to make him uh, give him you an empathy with him, uh, I just really appreciated. And the story, you know, the story was fine, and uh, I just, I just thought it was so much better done because it didn't feel like just this all-out action movie. I mean, it had some things about that, and it wasn't like you know the world's at stake or anything like that. It just felt like more like what I expected the Transformers to have been. Uh, in a movie form and uh, we just I really loved it the boys really liked it too Um, and it was just everything you could want I think in a Transformers movie to be honest yeah we were talking about my buddy made a a good point he's like it's it's like they found footage of a Transformers movie filmed in the 80s yeah and updated the special effects yes it has those sensibilities yeah i mean it felt kind of like uh short circuit right i mean there was that kind of an aspect to it um yeah it 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 totally felt like a movie that could have come out in the 80s and i think it serves the serves it well because you know the franchise was birthed in that it's so inexorably tied to that decade in a lot of ways and uh you know the transformers seem to have uh personality uh, even the Decepticons, they were, you know, they were nasty and slimy, just kind of like Starscream was back in the day, instead of just being these faceless, generic um, things to be blown up by the Autobots. You but know? Are the, were the Decepticons in the movie, were they characters from something? Because I don't I I think they were recognize new. them. They were new. Um, yeah. Well, some of them were. I, like the one that uh, Bumblebee has a fight with Blitzwing at first. And Blitzwing's the one that destroys his vocal box, right? And then he just then he blows up Blitzwing. Um, but he, Blitzwing Spoiler is. Spoiler alert! Oh yeah. Oops. Sorry <laughs> if you if you haven't figured that out by now. But uh, yeah, that's Blitz. Uh, that was Blitzwing, who was a triple changer. Um, you know, he could turn from a tank to a, a plane to a robot. And I, I don't think they. I can't recall if they showed all three. The of them. other triple changer I remember from the from the movie is Astro Train, which That's I always, right. always enjoyed that character. Yeah, he's cool. He has he's some very, good lines in the movie. He, yeah, he does. <laughs> and uh, but the other two were brand new characters, and they were also triple changers, but they were interesting. Uh, I yeah, think. Yeah, and I think the the main villain is is a kind of a feminine voice. Yeah, and then sort of had a, a brutish bodyguard with her who was i think had a like a male voice mm-hmm. if i recall correctly but yep. besides those two and bumblebee like they're the they're the robots yeah in the majority of the film yeah that's it and you know it's not like there's 10 of them or you know the first movie there were only five autobots i think and less than that decepticons if i recall correctly 
So we've had a pretty small cast, too. But then beyond that, they just exploded, and you, you couldn't really get to know any of the characters at all. No. Uh, but That's uh, what I, gives me hope for if they continue with this team making these movies, that they mm-hmm. have so much space yeah. to introduce characters with this kind of sensibility right. to make some really entertaining movies. Yeah, I, I, I think it could really work. And, you know, I just... I appreciate the designs of the characters looking like more like something that could actually happen in real life. I mean, I know you don't want true real is true realism if you could ever have that in a movie about giant robots, right? But they actually you can actually see the parts of whatever they are in alt mode, right? You can see car parts or, you know, jet air intakes or wheels or, you know, that kind of thing on their alt modes and they couldn't do that in a lot of the uh, a lot of the older stuff, which uh I, I didn't like. They just didn't feel like Transformers to me. I feel like it was the Clerks animated series, although maybe it was an episode of Family Guy, where they had there was a Transformers riff, and the thing transforms, and then there were people inside it, and then you could see blood coming out of the doors <laughs> yeah. and stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> I always enjoyed that gag, even though it's kind of morbid. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But there's some, there's been some cartoons going around through the years about that, too, you know, and like, what what if but uh, what if Mumblebee forgets it spikes inside his chest when he transforms? That yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing the movie I thought nailed was just, you know, and it's 80s music, so it's you got a lot of wiggle room. Yeah. But just the timing of how they use certain songs, mm-hmm. um, including one specific song that, like, <laughs> you know, again, spoiler alert. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> they play the song from the movie. Yeah, The Touch. Oh, which is like they, they kind of lull you into whatever, like you're not expecting it, and then it comes on and it's just phenomenal. Uh-huh. It's, yeah, it's so cool. I mean, like I was, was in a, a theater great, that yeah. had quite a lot of people, and it just people were just like <laughs> clapping or laughing. They were, they were pretty excited. Yeah, we, we saw it later, later at night. So we were, it was my family and then maybe two or three other families, but. I mean, we were high-fiving each other, for sure, <laughs> during that scene. <laughs> yeah, and I just think the movie has a lot to do with it, because I think there's just such fond memories people have of going to the theater or watching that movie, and mm. the movie was pretty decent, the animated movie. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I never saw it uh, in theaters uh, when it first came out. I was, I was in college, I think, when I rented a copy of it, uh, just to kind of just kind of see it. And, uh, I was really shocked at how, uh, brutal it was like with all the characters dying off. Yeah. And I, I felt glad I hadn't seen that when I was younger. Cause it would have broken my heart to see Optimus prime die like that. If it, when I was, even if I was 12 or 13 or whatever, it would have been really tough. Um, cause I had such a, a connection to that guy. And, uh, yeah, it, it, but it's, it's really, it's a really fun movie. I, it, it was just, uh, I think Fathom Events put it out last fall. I took my wife. She's very long-suffering with this sort of thing. So I took her to uh, see the original animated movie in a theater uh, in a town nearby, and it was really something to see it uh, on the on the, on the the uh, silver screen for the first time. Yeah, I think I went to the same thing, yeah. Fathom, saw it in the theater. And actually, there's a Alamo Draft House in the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. Love they're, it. They're showing it next Saturday. Oh, you got to go. I Well, 
I'm supposed to play D and D at the same time. It's one of these things of like, ah, oh, no. <laughs> it's yeah. like I only get to play D and D once a month. So what am I going to do? Yeah, that's tough, man. That's but tough. They're showing it at ten o'clock in the morning with all you can eat cereal. Oh, see, I got to find out where if Mar Elmo is doing that. Hang on, I'll be right back. <laughs> I am a cereal junkie, and I am not uh, afraid to admit it. So yeah, that would that would be ideal. <laughs> and, and you were talking about you know the movie and that it is. It's quite dark. Like there's. Oh yeah, seriously. I mean, for being in that time frame, so the, the movie came out in August of '86. Um, mm-hmm. Not to take things in too much of a left turn. Like my my father died in August of '85. Okay. Yeah. So it was a, about a year later, and I was like, "Oh, this movie's coming out. I want to go see it." My mom took me, and you know, within the first half hour, like Prime's on a table dying. Yeah. Right. Right. So that's, I imagine, that's hard. I imagine there's a lot of like childhood stuff that's kind of why this movie still sticks with me as an is an important movie in sure. some ways. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But I just the music that was in the movie, um, the different characters that that were introduced, uh, some of the lines that I still remember. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I, the silly songs on the junk planet. Like, oh, I know. Dare to be stupid. It's right. great. Yeah. It's it's yeah. so fun. And it, it really took – is a big shift for the franchise because it was like most of the time it had been Transformers in, on Earth uh, in the first couple seasons. Every once in a while they go to Cybertron, but now we're on this galaxy-spanning adventure. You know, it's pretty easy to see they were trying to ape Star Wars and things like that uh, with it just to take it to a galactic-type level. But uh, it is really, uh, really a turning point for the franchise, and, and I think it's aged fairly well. Uh, but uh, you know, others may others may disagree. But I still think it's one of the better Transformers movies. Period. It would be interesting if they uh, try to replicate that scale, right? With, with a new movie. Well, you know, there's always um, like, is Unicron going to be in the live action movies? And I think he actually was in one of them, but I can't remember how exactly it worked out. He wasn't like an extraterrestrial entity coming to eat the earth or anything. I don't think I, I'm not positive. I, you, you can't quote me on that one. Cause again, I haven't seen them, but uh, I know the fans were not, uh, it was just basically like they called something Unicron that wasn't really Unicron. Um, kind of like when they, in the fantastic four, the rise of the silver surfer, when they, they called something Galactus that wasn't really Galactus. Oh, right. You know, it was just like, Oh, okay. Well, Yeah. Man, I'm really wanting to go see this Transformers cereal party. <laughs> it's not showing at my local Alamo, though. That is sad. Oh well. Yeah, if if people are listening, if you can if you can get to an Alamo Draft House, if you have not been there yet, it is a just tremendous way to see a, a really any movie. Yeah, uh, I uh, when they have these special events, they're a lot of fun. Have you? Uh, I I ne- had never gone to one uh, except. Let's see. I guess it was three or four years ago, maybe, maybe three. Uh, the there was a Shin Godzilla came out. I'm also a Godzilla fan, uh, okay. and uh, so it was the latest Japanese Godzilla movie, the first one that had been done for like I don't know, twelve years or so. But it wasn't going to be showing anywhere in like regular theaters. So for one weekend, it was released to limited theaters, and uh, we drove about three hours away to Kansas City to see it. And we had such a great time, just the whole, you know, sit down and eat there and 
the the funny little things that they play in, on on the screen instead of the ads uh, before the movie begins. That's like half the fun for me. Yeah, because they always have very topical intros. Yeah, for the specific movie that you're seeing, mm-hmm. which is yeah. great. So I imagine like before Transformers, they'll have some pretty choice. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm I'm sure it'll be like a bunch of old commercials and you know things like that. You'll you'll have a great time with just that part. <laughs> Yeah, if you're not playing D and I mean, I'm not saying. Well, I know what I do, but you do what you got to do. <laughs> yes, one of the things we were talking about, I, I don't. I think this was maybe like a year or two ago, where we were saying we should just do a podcast of a show by show, yeah, breakdown of the original series, uh huh, kind of like they're doing with the West Wing and other much more important shows. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, the West Wing is awesome. Don't, don't, uh, you know, get me wrong, but I don't have like, you know, a Martin Sheen uh, action figure. <laughs> so. Right. I remember some of the episodes of Transformers that were just incredibly trippy. Yeah. So there's the one with, is it Sea Spray? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That yeah. Sea Spray and Love. Yeah, but it's he transforms into a human, I think. Yes. Yeah, and there's a mermaid involved. It's uh huh. It's it's so weird. Season two has some very very strange episodes, and that is yeah. def- that is definitely up there with some of the most awkward moments in Transformers. <laughs> I remember uh, watching that a few. I it's I got to be like ten years ago because I think I made a point of like oh I want to go back and watch these. Yeah, and I I didn't get through them all, but I remember that episode <laughs> watching it being like wait what is happening here? Yeah, it's so weird. It, and there's. There's the one where the girl falls in love with Power Glide, you know, the the Autobot plane, and it's it's also awkward. I mean, there's a scene of him on a carousel with her, and they go on a date. It's so weird. And I was like, please, just give me the ones where, you know, someone's coming to, you know, destroy Sherman Dam or something. Let's just go back to that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, just the, the banter between Starscream and Megatron. Oh, yeah. Just, it's just always fantastic. Yeah, they're so good. I always would laugh when Megatron is this enormous robot and he transforms into a gun and Starscream holds him. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so weird. Like, wait, how does that work? That doesn't <laughs> yeah. make any sense. You know, it's so strange. It doesn't make sense at all. And it's just because they, you know, they took those pre-existing toys and they kind of took two different toy lines that weren't really supposed to be together and they just put them together. And so that's why you got the weird things like that. Like Soundwave is a cassette that has to shrink. Uh, you know, a tape player and that kind of thing. So uh, it's pretty. Yeah, Soundwave we've transformed, then all of a sudden he's like this little thing on a table. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, fantastic. Uh, it's funny. I just the the original toy for Megatron was very cumbersome. It's yeah, it's not good. It looked all. nothing like Megatron. Right. They really cleaned up his uh, his cartoon model uh, considerably. Uh, there's some there's some footage that is out there for like the very first Transformers cartoon that has a more toy like Megatron cartoon model, and uh, it it really looks weird. He's got like a black helmet instead of uh, uh, oh, silver, and uh, it's just really bizarre to see it when you know you've watched like hundreds of episodes with him looking in his iconic G1 mode. But yeah, the the, the original Megatron toy is probably one of the worst of the of the original series. Honestly, it's just not great. I had that. I had Prime. I had mm-hmm. I had Devastator. So I had those five. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, let's see, Cliffjumper, Brawn. Yes. 
Star the Wars mini bots were always great. I, I love those guys. I have multiples of them now because I like I could have them at school too. You know, just at my desk. <laughs> I don't have them anymore. I don't know where they where they went. Right, right. Um, but it's it's fun to remember that stuff. And now my son is he's only two, but as he gets older, it'll be interesting to see what what he gets into. Right now, everything is monster trucks. Yeah, that's everything monster trucks monster yes trucks. yes <laughs> well you know i'm, I'm kind of jealous of you because one of the most fulfilling things about transformers for me was sharing them with my kids and like seeing that joy and the wonder in them when they saw these toys for the first time like i still had a small box not every toy that i had when i was a kid but just a few and uh when they opened those up for the first time they were just so hooked on them and you know we watched the we got the VHS tapes and watched through the, the the some of the original series episodes and wore those tapes out and you know we watched the the new shows as they came out on TV and boy that's some of the best Transformers collecting I've ever done has been the ones that my kids had and uh, you've got all that to look forward to and mine are done I'm sadly but you know it's uh, it's pretty powerful to go go through experience something with nostalgia. And to experience it with your own children at the same time, boy, that's a that's a pretty strong feeling right there. Yeah, I'm excited for for that stuff with him. You know, certainly the you know Star Wars franchise yeah. as, as he gets yeah. a little bit older. <laughs> that's going to be just really mind blowing for me to watch that through his eyes. That'll be really fun. Yeah, um, but yeah, I definitely will sit sit him down and. Have them watch Transformers. Have them watch DuckTales. Yes, there you good go. One, good one back in the day. Right, right. My youngest son really got into 80s shows. He watched like everything that was on Netflix for Knight Rider and uh, Family Ties and all these old 80s shows. He just really got into them. It's pretty funny. <laughs> I, saw a cl- I saw a clip. I think I even re- I retweeted it. I think it's some TV producer or something. It was a clip of Knight Rider where... <laughs> He's like racing around a parking garage and jumps all out of the parking garage across a city street into a building, mm-hmm. and lands in an office, yeah. casually gets out of the car and punches some guy in the face. Right. It, it's, I, it's amazing. You know, some of those shows have not aged very well. And uh, it's kind of funny to watch them as, you know, and remembering that you used to be hooked on this show when you oh, were yeah. younger. You know, I mean. It's crazy. I, I, you should come with us sometime. We, on Thursday nights, uh, I, I meet with these guys and we on we go to Rabbit, uh, which is like you can watch things online together, and we, oh, really? we watch like it was originally started just some random person on Twitter was like I want to watch Manimal this with with people and kind of talk about it while we watch it. Is anybody interested? And I had watched you. Are, do you know the show Manimal? It was on for about ten seconds in nineteen eighty three. I the name sounds familiar. Yeah, but... it's it's. The, oh, there goes my Alexa. I'm sorry. Uh, it's notoriously cheesy. It, it's a uh, a guy who can change into a different animal shapes and he goes around solves crimes. It, it's really really bad. But nice. We we had such a fun time riffing on you know the show and kind of making fun of it that we we then moved on to several other shows and so we go back and watch like we watched Auto Man. We watched some Star Trek animated stuff. We watched uh, Misfits of Science. <laughs> I mean just all sorts of crazy stuff. 
And uh, you'd probably have a good time with us just watching through these old shows and then just wondering what on earth we were thinking when we watched this stuff when we were younger. <laughs> we, were, we were all at a different wavelength. But... I guess so, you know, and parts of it are really fun and then other parts are just like, oh, I roll. <laughs> so if if people want to, you know, spend some time with you or ask questions or kind of vibe about Transformers and other stuff, uh, how, how – how can they find you? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, you can get me at uh, markalley.com. That's my website. Uh, I've got a lot of blog there with just random stuff, uh, some stuff about my writing as well as other things as well. Transformers pictures and reviews and the haikus and stuff go there. Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, every day. We're pretty regular at markalley. That's M-A-R-C-A-L-L-I-E. Uh, you can look for my books on Amazon. Um, I'm, at, I'm on Facebook. I've got an author page. Uh, it's just facebook.com slash Mark Alley, M-A-R-C-A-L-L-I-E. And uh, that's basically the best ways to get in touch with me. And if, if we ever find time, which is elusive, <laughs> right. uh, d- doing that, doing the episode-by-episode episode breakdown of Transformers would be... It would be a hoot. It would be a lot of fun. I have a yeah. new microphone and like I have a quasi-studio down here in my basement. I've uh-huh. got, like... I'm, I'm getting ready. So you think, and we like watch it together, and then just comment, and you just release it into the wild, or do we, you know, watch it separately, and then just come together to talk about it? Or I almost think you watch it separately. You come up mm-hmm. with your own notes, and like yeah. two or three things per episode that you want to discuss, and maybe there's overlap. Yeah, and uh, you just do a deep dive. There you go. By by the end of season one, you've you've spent way too much time. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> uh, That's for the, sure. The listeners will love it. They'll oh, I would think so. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Clamoring just for, you know, when's the next Space Bridge episode going to happen? Because that's important stuff. It is. Any, anytime we can discuss Shockwave. Oh, he's he's so good. I just love him. I think he's the best. I love the scene where they accidentally gave him uh, a pistol that's his own alt mode. It's one of my favorite shots. In the and whole he showed thing. up in Bumblebee, and I was so excited. I know. He I was, was like, oh, my Goodness, it's shocking. I was like, I can't believe it. It's right there. It was just so cool. I, I just love that first little bit of uh, Bumblebee. I was hooked from the get-go on that. Yeah, uh, if you don't trust the Transformers movie, which is totally understandable. Yeah, yeah. Just at least watch the first five minutes mm-hmm. of Bumblebee. Yeah. Uh, because that's what you want out of a Transformers movie. It is. It's totally perfect. Yeah. And the whole movie is not like that, but just watch that because it gives you hope that the people making it sort of understand what <laughs> right. these movies are. <laughs> exactly. I was I was really pleasantly surprised. I had really low expectations, and it absolutely blew me away. So. Well, Mark, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Like You put out all your contact information. I'm sure we will be in touch. Uh, Absolutely. As we usually are talking about games and consumers and everything else. You bet. Um, so <laughs> Thanks yeah. for having me on again. I really enjoyed our talk. Keep up all the fun and excellent work. Will do. All right. Take care, sir. You too. Bye-bye.